0: Welcome to Handcraft Podcast. Listener's discretion is advised as this podcast does contain mature and explicit content. Comedy related to any episode of Handcraft is not intended to cause distress or disrespect to anyone. Peckham was traditionally a part of the Camberwell and Surrey Parish in 1889, but is now a part of the London Borough we know today as Southwark. Some of the most well-known TV shows in the UK are set in Peckham, which include Only Fools and Horses, even though the show was filmed outside London, Channel 4's comedy Desmond's, Meet the Adabanjos, which I actually binged on Netflix last year, so I actually would recommend for you to check it out, T-Boy Show and Younger's. Peckham is also the home to celebrities such as Rio Ferdinand, Ashley Walters and the landlord Giggs who gave us the beautiful black UK anthem Talking that Hardest. Can anyone just take a moment of silence, please? Visit London have listed some exciting things to do in Peckham which include visiting the pie and mash shop m and Frank's Rooftop Bar, Yoga Rise Yourself. Picture House Independent Cinema, Peckham Refreshment Room, and Brickhouse Sour Dough Bakery and Cafe. You know this list was a reflection, a representation of today's gentrified Peckham. From when there's yourself, you know that means the young white people have arrived. I mean, I ain't mad at yoga but I'm not necessarily a fan of gentrification that forces local businesses and residents out either. In fact, broadcaster Henry Quashu has a really good documentary called Is Your Area Changing? She explores the changes of popular areas, Brixton, Peckham and Dalston. There's a link to the article that shares more info in the show notes. Peckham was one of those places everyone used to say was dangerous, due to it being a deprived area with high crime rates. For many Afro-Caribbean people, it was simply a place called home. It was a place to get your necessities and meet your friends, if you didn't live there, in my case. Let me tell you some of the reasons I would visit Peckham. Basically, to buy my 30kg bag of rice. Yes, you heard correctly, 30kg in an African house, you could never run out of rice. To visit the hair shop, the market, and to see friends and family. Or an event at the bussy building, or you know someone is going to be holding a barbecue or a house party in summer. As much as people may love or even hate Peckham, just like any other area in the world, crime exists. And today's episode involves the serious offence of child destruction that took place in Peckham. A case to London, black community will never forget. So let's get started. Mallory Bantala, who is of Congolese descent, lived in Peckham with her mother and sister. In 2011, when Mallory was 18-19, she met Kevin Wilson, who I believe was of Ghanaian descent. Kevin was the same age as Mallory and lived on Longfield Estate in Bermondsey, South London, with his mother, stepdad and siblings. Mallory and Kevin started dating in 2011, They both attended Bedfordshire Uni, which is a 38.8 mile drive from Peckham. Their relationship ended during their first year. Nonetheless, the couple kept things friendly. In 2014, Mallory and Kevin rekindled their relationship during an end of year university trip to Ibiza, but they broke up for the second and final time. In November that year, Mallory found out she was pregnant and contacted Kevin. The response from Kevin was disheartening. He reacted by saying he wasn't ready to be a father and he tried to coerce Mallory into getting an abortion. He even went as far as booking booking the appointment at the abortion clinic. Using the weapon of gaslighting, Kevin stated that he would commit suicide if Mallory kept the baby. Although this must have been difficult for Mallory to hear, she made the decision to keep the baby. When news broke out amongst peers that Kevin was the father of Mallory's baby, he became infuriated. He was filled with such rage, and he was determined not to be involved in their child's life. As Mallory's pregnancy progressed, she came to the realisation she was going to raise her child as a single mother. A future she was more than capable of living, and with the support from her friends and family, Mallory was excited to give birth to a baby boy she named Joel. In June 2015, Mallory is 20 years old, eight months pregnant and working in Marks & Spencer. It was time to start planning her baby shower, an exciting memorable moment for expectant mothers. On 15th June, Mallory woke up and stepped out to get the final pieces for her celebration. Around 8pm after a day of preparing for her baby shower, Mallory left her friend's house and returned to Pelican Estate in Peckham. As she walked towards her home, the atmosphere became eerie. A man emerged from the bushes. In shock, Mallory took a moment. She didn't recognise this man because he was wearing a motorcycle helmet, but he allowed her to walk past. As she took a couple of steps forward, a second larger man appeared out of nowhere. He was also lurking in the bushes. The second man was wearing a motorcycle helmet. He stood in front of Mallory, but this time she instantly recognised the disguised man. It was her ex, Kevin Wilson. Mallory couldn't see Kevin's face, but she recognised his figure and his Navy Adidas tracksuit. Here is Mallory speaking on the Victoria Derbyshire show, explaining what happened next.
1: I found myself on the floor, so the first guy who put me on the floor... Um, next thing I know, I'm being stamped and kicked by the guy that got me pregnant, and, um, the first initial guy from behind, he also stamped my stomach, and I just remember thinking at that time, like, what was going on, like, why is he doing this, you know, just all sorts of stuff was just going through my mind.
0: Presumably, terror, thinking about what is happening to your unborn child.
1: Yeah, exactly, but, um... I think just at the time I was in a state of confusion, like I didn't know what was going on, I didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing.
0: The only way Mallory could protect her unborn son, Joel, was to use her hand to shield him from the brutal and forceful kicks delivered by Kevin and his accomplice. Rolled up on the floor using the hand to protect her son, the two men continued to stamp and kick Mallory's stomach. Trying to do everything she could to stop the attack, Mallory shouted out Kevin's name in order for him to stop. Looking down on Mallory, Kevin continued to raise his foot and stamp Mallory's stomach in rage. Eventually, Mallory's neighbour heard her screams and decided to look out the window. At the same time, another neighbour pulled up in their car and rushed over to Mallory. Mallory saw the man who she once knew as the father of her unborn baby, flee the scene as the man who brutally attacked her. Mallory's neighbours and family called the ambulance and the police immediately. The police arrived, but the ambulance didn't make it, so Mallory was rushed to the hospital by the police. Mallory told the police her ex, Kevin, was responsible for the attack. Mallory was taken to King's College Hospital where she had to wait an hour before being seen by a nurse for an initial assessment. Sorry, I know people exhaust A&E services and it's hectic in there, but hearing about a woman who is heavily pregnant, who just suffered, along with her unborn child, extreme physical trauma, having to sit there for an hour with no reassurance and no confirmation of what's happening with her body and her baby doesn't sit right with me at all especially when we know black women have higher mortality rates following complications with their pregnancies. I don't know if we'll ever find out why Mallory had to wait so long, but I personally can't ignore the waiting time. It may sound normal to some, but um, I don't know. Talk to me. Sitting in a and Mallory stated after some time she realised her baby didn't move when she went for her medical assessments, the nurses confirmed baby Joel passed away. Mallory not only had to process the attack, but now she had to process the death of her son. Due to the fact that Mallory is 32 weeks pregnant, her pregnancy was considered a stillbirth, meaning Mallory had to give birth to her lifeless son. She was unable to give birth naturally, so she was sent home and scheduled for a C-section the next evening. Mallory suffered from severe internal bleeding in her room. She lost a lot of blood and she was also informed that she would have to undergo another surgery to operate on the broken fingers she sustained during the attack trying to protect her baby. The day after the attack on Mallory and Joel, the police arrested Kevin for questioning. Kevin, who was 21 and a teaching assistant at the time, denied all allegations. Kevin stated that at the time of the attack, he was napping at home after a day at work. Kevin was a teaching assistant at Octavia House School in Woolworth, South London. Weeks later, the police also arrested a 17-year-old associated with the case that was given anonymity. Both males were arrested and charged with grievous bodily harm and child destruction. Both males categorically denied the offences, but with the clear evidence stacked up against them, the case was heard in the Old Bailey. In December 2015, Kevin Wilson and Tafari Grant, the seven-year-old accomplice, Kevin took upon himself to recruit to help and carry out one of the most egregious offences committed against women, stood trial in the Old Bailey Crown Court. Tafari was originally granted anonymity due to his age. During the investigation, the police found out that Tafari was the owner of a Piago Vespa motorbike, which he insured on his 17th birthday. However, after their attack on Mallory, the motorbike disappeared. Kevin and Tafari also left their mobile phones in Longfield Estate on the day of the attack, to make it appear as if they were in Bermondsey all day. The jury were shown CCTV evidence which showed Kevin and Tafari making a getaway on a motorcycle from the scene back to Longfield Bermondsey Estate. Kevin also told the court that when he first learned about Mallory's pregnancy, he lied to her by saying he was going to Ghana for good because he didn't want to play Happy Families, which is a straight up lie. I don't know how he thought he would get away with that. Like, what happens when she sees you? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? I I don't understand that Like, but okay. He also called Mallory a jazzy, accusing her of sleeping with other men. But obviously we know that wasn't truth. Kevin told the jurors, When I look back on it now, I could have behaved much better. In regards to how he treated Mallory when he first found out she was pregnant but he continued to deny his involvement in her attack. Jurors also heard that in May 2015, Kevin entered a new relationship and impregnated his girlfriend. However, his new girlfriend at the time didn't go through with the pregnancy, but it wasn't made clear if there was any coercion involved. Jurors were also made aware that Tafari became a new father in August 2015 his lawyer was quoted in court to have said tafari was very involved with the child i think that adds salt to the wound for me how can you commit such an evil act against one child and receive the blessing of looking after your own and in no way did the idea of you becoming a father stop you from committing such a callous act it doesn't make sense cases like this really make you think why we live in such a cruel world to be fair I wanted to acknowledge the age difference between Kevin and Tafari. It's not much, but, um, oh, quick math. <laughs> <Four>. <laughs> um I did wonder if Tafari's age played a role into why he may have been so easily influenced to commit such a crime. Although he was 17 at the time, so I'm not providing any excuses at all. He was old enough to know right from wrong. But reading up on the case, I just wanted to know the dynamic of their relationship. Like, was it an older and younger situation? Or was he just like, fuck it, I don't mind risking my freedom for you because you don't want to be a dad. But that's just my true crime brain wandering off. Judge Mark Leucraft labelled the attack as cowardly, vile and callous. It is more than likely Baby Joel would have survived a full pregnancy if his life wasn't cut short before it even began. In December 2015, both perpetrators, Kevin Wilson and Tafari Grant, were sentenced for child destruction and grievous bodily harm. Kevin received a life sentence with a minimum of 16 years, whilst Tafari received a sentence of 10 years in prison and four years on extended license. In 2016, Kevin appealed his life sentence, which was denied. The three judges on the panel said the life sentence was justified, but they did reduce the minimum sentence from 16 to 14. In 2018, Mallory joined up with Women's Aid Charity to campaign for the child destruction law to be reviewed. Which was supported by MPs Neil Cole MP for Bermondsey and Old Southwark and Harriet Harman MP for Peckham and Camberwell. Interesting fact Harman actually holds the record as the longest ever continuously serving female MP in the house of commons. Okay I see you girl Do your thing Mallory stated in a video the law should protect women who are in danger of losing their babies whether it be through recklessness or with the intention of ending a pregnancy which it currently fails to do so. So let's look into it. What is the child destruction law and why are people calling for a change? The infant life Preservation Act 1929 created the child destruction offense section 1 subsection 1 states subject as hereinafter in this subsection provided any person who with the intent to destroy the life of a child capable of being born alive by any willful act causes a child to die before it has an existence independent of his mother shall be guilty of felony to wit of child destruction and shall be liable on conviction thereof on indictment to penal servitude for life provided that no person shall be found guilty of an offence under this section unless it is proved that the act which caused the death of the child was not done in good faith for the purpose of preserving the life of the mother. Subsection 2 states for the purposes of this act evidence that a woman had at any material time been pregnant for a period of 28 weeks or more shall be prima facie proof that she was at the time pregnant of the child capable of being born alive. Whew. <laughs> so there's a few things to look at here. Firstly, someone can only be charged with the offence child destruction if it can be proved that the perpetrator had the intent to harm the child. If you can't prove the intent, then it's unlikely criminal proceedings will be brought forward. The second point, the expectant mother must be at least 28 weeks into her pregnancy. And finally, the child has to be capable of being born alive without the aid from its mother. Basically, the baby has to be able to breathe through their own lungs after birth. I can certainly see why people are advocating for this piece of law to be changed. In the UK, people have criticised the child destruction law as providing a loophole for offenders. There are many cases where women have lost their pregnancies due to violence from others and because there's no intent to harm the baby, child destruction charges get dropped. If you don't have the evidence to back up the charge that we just heard in Mallory's case where there was proof Kevin didn't want the child, he booked an abortion appointment, he lied and said he was going away, another girlfriend got pregnant, which we, which he didn't keep, and most importantly, he conspired a plan with his accomplice to specifically target Mallory's stomach. You won't receive justice for your unborn child. What happens if you're in a volatile relationship, a domestic violence case, and you lose your child during an incident? This is where we see the lack of protection for unborn babies in, the, in UK law. Just because they may have died due to recklessness doesn't mean they don't deserve justice, especially if the mother intended to keep the pregnancy. There are also many ethical arguments when discussing child destruction law. Is the baby considered a person? In law, they're not. In 2015, the BBC reported only 16 people have been found guilty of child destruction in 11 years in England and Wales, which is very low when you take into account the amount of domestic violence situations there are and how violence may possibly increase when a woman in a domestic violence situation gets pregnant. The child destruction law was originally set up in 1929 to tackle backstreet abortions. But now the reason women turn to the law as a way to receive justice has completely changed. The Abortion Act was introduced in 1967, which allows legal abortion up to 24 weeks, decreased from 28. Campaigners are asking for the law to be amended, in particular the meaning of intent and the number of weeks pregnant. It does get slightly complicated though. When I read an L article, Mallory's case, a lawyer made an interesting point, stating, "If we remove the intent from legislation, does that mean we will have to penalise women who may drink or smoke during pregnancy?" Now, I don't think it's a good idea to smoke or drink during pregnancy, but wherever your moral compass may land, can we prove that a woman wants to intentionally harm her baby because she's? Smoked a cigarette or she drank a glass of wine? If we take away intent, we may also have to question the right to abortion. The Abortion Act states a woman can receive an abortion up to 24 weeks, but the Child Destruction Law states a pregnancy must be beyond 28 weeks. Another important note to add is for example, if I, as a woman, was 15 weeks pregnant. And I had the whole intention to keep my pregnancy. And someone attacked me causing the loss of my child. I couldn't receive justice for my unborn baby. Even though I wanted to keep them. And I believe that is not fair. With intent we can see how it gets kind of complicated. But I agree that there needs to be a change to the current law. Or a new law needs to be introduced that runs parallel to the Abortion Act. Therefore... We're still protecting women's rights to have an abortion and acknowledging the recklessness when an unborn baby is murdered or assaulted. I also agree with campaigners that pregnancy should be treated as an aggravating factor. Similarly to assault where if an offender demonstrates hostility towards a person because of their race, they can be charged with racially aggravated assault and receive a harsher sentence. In fact, a clear example is when I did my mini-episode on David Gallagher who racially attacked a woman called Samson Haji Ali, causing her to lose her baby weeks later. David Gallagher was only sentenced to two and a half years for Samson's attack for racially aggravated assault and grievous bodily harm, but he didn't receive any sentence for causing the loss of her baby. Child destruction carries the maximum sentence of life. In Kevin's case, we saw him receive a minimum of 16 years, which was later reduced to 14. Kevin might leave prison one day and integrate back into society. And I don't know if we will ever know if Kevin Wilson will show any signs of remorse. For many women, like Mallory Buntala, she may one day decide to have another child. But she will have to live with the loss of her baby boy for the rest of her life. I can only imagine what the effect of losing a child can have on your mental health. And the law needs to recognise this. It's not just a physical loss these women go through. It's also emotionally and mentally scarring. Here is a snippet of Mallory's victim statement about baby Joel, which was read in court. The full statement can be found on the Daily Record article in the Show notes. My attackers had an opportunity at a life. They've lived, they've loved, they've traveled, and they've had life-changing experiences. My son will never have that. Joel never got to meet me properly. He'll never know how much I love him. I'll never get to see him smile, see his first set of teeth, watch him struggle as he learns to crawl or watch him take his first steps. I'll never take him to his first day at school attend a parents' evening or watch his year six play. I'll never watch him set off for his first day at secondary school, meet his friends who he'll refer to as brothers, meet his girlfriend and buy his suit for his prom. I'll never be able to teach him how to drive, we will never get to argue about the state of his room, about why he constantly keeps plates and cups in there or even why he chooses to leave the toilet seat up. I'll never get to embarrass him at his 18th birthday party or watch him go on his first lad's holiday. We'll never get to take him to university and then see him graduate.
1: For me, my main focus was just to make sure that um, I was in a good place, you know, I wasn't going to let this define me. I wasn't going to let this, you know, completely take over my life and stop me from you know moving on and yeah
0: I mean I choked up when I first read the whole statement and even researching this case it's quite painful to hear but I do urge people to read the whole statement because it shows the lifelong effects these crimes have on women I did reach out to Mallory about this episode to ask if she had any comments she said she's healing from grief, trauma and coming to a place of acceptance, which is really hard. I also have to continue to live life, so it's re- it really upsets me that men are still doing it without any regard to the emotional damage they're putting these women and their families through. For you and many others, this is just a sad story, but for many women out there, this is their reality. I think that's such an important message sometimes i think with the true crime community and to be honest with everyone we can go down some pretty deep rabbit holes it's easy for us to go from one case to another to another to another and detach ourselves from the emotion when the time suits us because we're not living it humans are really good with building up momentum when an unfortunate incident first takes place and then the momentum dies down That's why I think it's so important to keep these conversations alive. In this one case, we're shown how important it is to have regular conversations about reproductive health, coercion, domestic violence and violence against women. Mallory doesn't know, but I'm about to pluck her because that's what we do here when I see black people giving back to their community and raising awareness I just have to plug the fuck out of them using her own painful experience Mallory founded a platform called own it in 2019 in an interview with guap magazine Mallory stated the purpose of the platform is to give young women the opportunity to discuss and learn more about reproductive health reproductive rights as well as the use of coercion. She is creating a platform to educate young women on reproductive rights and coercion. You can find Own It on Instagram at ownit.org.uk. There are many other charities that aim to help women in similar circumstances. These organisations include Women's Aid, Baby Loss Awareness Week, which is a website for bereaved parents and families to connect with each other across the world to commemorate their baby's lives. They have also partnered up partnered up with the organization SANS, the Stillbirth and National Death Charity. So I'm going to end the episode there. I hope you enjoyed listening, even though this was a very sad case. But most importantly, I hope you learned something new. And from today that you just keep those conversations, like I said before, alive. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your colleagues, just chat. But follow me on socials. So on Twitter, handcuffed pod, Instagram, handcuffed podcast. And if you listen on um podcast iTunes, iTunes Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, please leave a review. And don't forget to check out at ownit.org.uk on Instagram.